You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. We need to feel it, right? That's what we're saying. We need to feel it. Jamie was having us feeling the weight, the, the kind of discomfort with where we're at and that hope for where we're going. We need to feel it, and so we have a whole season of Lent to help us to feel it. The alternative to feeling it, I think, is pretty common. We could numb out. We could be tempted to just distract ourselves. We could be tempted to indulge in a lot of different ways, to feel good in a a more temporary kind of fleeting way. We could be tempted to externalize whatever the darkness is and just be uh, oppressed by something that's not actually the problem. There's lots of ways not to feel it. So I want to help us to feel it in all the different ways that we're capable of it because human beings are very complex and they can feel it in a lot of different ways. Not only can they feel the darkness and the difficulty, but they can... They can feel God's love and the solution and the light to all of that darkness and difficulty in lots of different ways. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really good that we have this season of Lent where we're practicing our humanity. Because this, all of this, it's a difficult thing to, to get a handle on sometimes. The whole Christian project could be described as figuring out what it, what it is to, to do well with this vessel that we've been given, with this human person that we are. Jesus came to us as a human being to show us how to be human. He got to the bottom of it. He got to the bottom of us and showed us how to be who we are meant to be, from birth all the way to death and beyond. Lent is a season of solidarity in developing in that project. So here's a kind of map that Jesus gave us in Mark 12. Uh, He was asked, which is the most important of the commandments? And this is what he answered. Will someone read that to us? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We want to shine a light on all those different ways that it means to be human. Jesus is recognizing this is who you are. At the very least, you've got these different modes, heart, soul, mind, strength. But I added others. I thought maybe the body. There's, there's six Sundays in Lent. But uh, but also, I you know, the, the, we talked about the body, too, and how the body speaks to us, and God can love us in the actual corporealness of our person. And then we also have, like, a social self, which Jesus is kind of recognizing there, too. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who I am to someone else actually matters, too. How it is I'm perceived and, and how all that interacts is, 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 again, it's very complex. And Jesus, I think is kind of blessing us in that complexity. He's saying, yeah, this is what it is to be a human being. This is what it means 
to love. It's you can do it in all of these ways. And the good news is, is that if God if God is commanding us to love in all of those ways, God is also encouraging us and equipping us to love in those ways, mostly by loving us on all those different levels right there. So I think that's good news. I want to focus this week on the mind, because next week is uh, Family Sunday, and we thought that it would be best to do that with the soul. Love the Lord with all your soul, because the word for, for soul here in Greek is like your life force. And that seems like something that the children could, could help us do next week when we're worshiping all together family style. So we're saving soul for next week and we're jumping to mind this week. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. We want to shine a light on what it means to be a human being with a mind and think about how we can love God and be loved by God with our minds. I think a, a good place to, to start with that is that you are not your thoughts. That, that very basic, but I just want to say it again because I, I don't believe it sometimes. Uh, oftentimes my thoughts try to be me. But I'll say it again, you are not your thoughts. You are more than a rational creature. You are a rational creature. And, and, and the, the logic and rationality that God gave you is a great way to engage and to learn and to love. And essential. If you don't, you, you, you'd be lost. You'd be unhuman if you, if, you, if you totally ignored your rationality. But it's not all of who you are. Uh, but I think our culture is, is leaning that way. Not, not, in, not totally intentionally. There isn't a project to try to eliminate emotionality. We're not Vulcans. Um, Though I think that that strain is present. So I want to speak back to that a little bit. Speaking of Vulcans, I really love science fiction. Um, and there is a strain of science fiction that actually people are trying to make reality about downloading or uploading your brain. There's the thought that maybe if our brain is just a bunch of electron, electrons firing that maybe if we could crack the code, we could upload your consciousness, Nancy, into the cloud, and then we, you could live forever. That's, that's the idea. Some, some people are actually actively pursuing this, this thought experiment. Um, so just a quick poll. How many of you think it might be possible in you know the next 300 years, in a long time, that with they're going to be able to upload a consciousness to a machine. Who thinks that might be possible? Like upload a living consciousness that that would then be you, like it would be artificial intelligence essentially, but it would it would be all of your memories, all of your thoughts, and essentially that person would be essentially Bryce, but in living in just computer land. Joel thinks it's possible. Yeah, totally. I don't like it. Don't we don't like it, but it might be possible. Now that's the philosophical question, and that's what—that's why science fiction is is fun and actually leads the way to think about what are the ethics of this potential probability. This what some of us think is a probability. I'm hopeful that, that um, Westworld is true. Have you guys watched Westworld? It's a terribly, uh, the pastor shouldn't be telling you to watch this show, but, you know, <laughs> it's just so violent and sexual, you know, you don't really need those images in your head. 
But I'll tell you one thing. They can't figure out how to get a consciousness into their robot bodies. The, the consciousness just breaks down. And I think that's a really hopeful thing for humanity. A hopeful vision of the future is that this cannot be done. At least not in a body. You could live in um, an alternate reality created by a, a computer in a computer environment, but you're not going to be able to live in the human world as if you were human forever. Whatever. I'm going to say it. Watch Westworld. It's very interesting. <laughs> um, it's on HBO. And uh, just just to get your head around that problem. I think that we're already heading in this direction a little bit, too. That, that The tension between what it means to be a human being and our capacities for technology. Keep in mind... The internet did not exist in almost all of our lifetimes. There are a few of us in the room that, that, that came into existence after the internet, but most of us did not. Talking to you, Marley, you're the, you're the, you're the internet native, all right? There are others as well. But others of us, we, we have an experience. Oh, let's see, Julie, they had the internet when you were born, right? Yes. Yeah? Okay. I don't remember. I don't remember because it's, like, I don't know. it's all happening. <laughs> it's all happening so fast. Like, I don't remember. So, like, that, I'm a little hopeful about that, too, because, like, well, I'm also a little desperate about that, too, because I'm already so intertwined that, like, I don't know what this is doing to what it means to be a human being, you know? Like, Tom, your question, you know, will it actually be you? We'll let those experts decide who you are. You know? We'll let that well if if they say that Tom's consciousness uploaded to the cloud is Tom, we're gonna have to believe him, right? No, we don't. But see that tension, that tension, oh, it's it's so complicated. And I think it's already begun, uh, even in the way we speak. And I, I think words are really important. So I'm 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 trying to catch myself often with this new idea of how I speak. Because there's so much, so many words in the English language come as, and they describe us as if we are already machines. They take computer technology and apply it to our brains. Like, have you ever said, like, I don't have enough bandwidth for that right now? As if I, I were some kind of modem, you know? Uh, or how about this one? This one, everyone says this. It's just how I'm wired. You know? I'm just wired that way. Not, not necessarily terrible, but kind of turning me into a machine. Uh, do you have any more? Uh, have I, what, what else do we say like this? I say how much battery power I have. <laughs> <laughs> the battery power I have. Uh, what, what else? What else do you say that, that kind of turns you into a machine? I just can't function today. Oh, function maybe? Or how about like processing? Mm -hmm. I think even processing data is a computer word that now it's like, it's a brain word. I don't know which came first. I'd like to study that. Any others? Come on. Can we get a few others? I need a full reboot. Reset. <laughs> I thought we had more. Dialing, I can't think of any more. Dialing in or dialing up. Yeah, unplug. Yeah. Yeah, definitely unplug. Well, there's probably more. But I'm, I'm trying to repent of using that language to describe me as if I were a machine or any human being. Because we're more than that. And I think even how we talk, we might be unconsciously laying the groundwork for uh, just submission to whatever the technocrats give us. We are not just electrodes and microcompressors. Our synapses are more than the sum of us. And I can prove this to you. I mean, no, I, I wish I could. I read that wrong. 
I can't prove this to you. I can't prove it, but I, I, I believe it. Partly because I trust the other parts of me as Jesus describes them. You know, I have an experience of being a person with a heart, a soul, a body, a neighbor, and a mind. All those things. It really does seem like I'm, oh, operating system. Working on a different operating system sometimes. We say that about ourselves, right? Yeah, because you're a human. Good job. Logic, I think, kind of won the day uh, a couple hundred years ago. And this language, I think, is just the most recent manifestation of a battle that is hard, that is being fought, but only by few. It's 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 we're hardly paying attention to this. It really does feel like this this kind of conquest of what it means to be a human being is is happening, you know, with the nanotechnologists and the the Googleites only, and we're just kind of enjoying the fat of it because it's really great to be able to know, you know, how many people live in Taipei because I feel like knowing right now, you know, my friend's going to be a missionary in Taiwan and I wanted to know what's, how many people live in Taipei and I just looked it up I, and I didn't even type it. I just asked Alexa, <laughs> you know, I like that. I like knowing stuff, but I, I don't like the potential of being known completely in some oppressive way. God does actually need to deliver us from some oppression, not just from without, but from with the, those actual things inside of us. Oh, those programs that we have, you know? Much is happening that's unexamined. Much is happening in the dark, both in the culture and in our actual thought processes that we need to pay attention to. So many of the motions of our mind, they happen. Okay, so I'm off of the, I'm off of the like danger of, Google turning us into robots now. I'm now thinking about just what it means to be a human being, all right? And like what it means to have thoughts. And like so many of the thoughts that we have are so unexamined, right? That so much, so many, so much is happening that we don't understand. And I'm not even thinking about the unconscious necessarily, which is a psychological idea that, that they, they came up with, again, not that long ago, to try to help us understand what's happening under the surface. But like, do you ever have the, the, the moment where you're like, oh, wait a second, do I think that? You know, where, you, where, you, where this kind of unconscious bias maybe pops its head up and you're like, oh, wait a second, I'm actually thinking that thought and I don't want to be thinking that thought. I think the easiest place to, to encounter this is with racism and unconscious bias, where we have some reaction to a person who looks different from us on the outside. Um, and you're like, oh, I'm having that reaction. You know, uh, when I was when I was 12 years old, I got um, held up just by big people. They were they didn't have any guns or anything. They were just much bigger than me and my brother. And they took our they took I think I had like four dollars in dimes in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to the library to make copies of sex education books for health class. <laughs> For help. Before the internet. It was before the internet, y'all. Um, yeah, it was for health class. I mean, I was, I was particularly interested in the project. Hence, I was walking all the way to the library to make copies. And uh, anyways, the people who took the, my $4 in dimes were 
black men. And so I had, so I, I had to deal with this kind of reaction that I then immediately had every time I was walking down the street in West Philly and there's uh, two other black men, you know, they're going to happen. And it's just, you know, is it just big people? Is it just that I'm a small 12 year old, you know? And so I'm thinking I have this, I have this unconscious thought that just gets planted in me by this experience and, and a lot of other experiences too, not mostly implanted by the culture, not my own personal experience. They're like, Oh, I'm thinking scared thoughts every time I see two large black men, you know? I don't want to think that thought, but I'm thinking it. It's happening. You know, there, there's, there's power to just the, just the, the experience that I have, and I am going to have that thought. And so now when that thought happens, and I'm a giant white man myself with all my privilege, um, I'm able to say, oh, there's that thought. Oh, I did have that experience. And so the association that the thought has can change, you know, mostly because I changed in my physical stature. I think that was the biggest thing, but also because I've been working on, on anti-racism ever since trying to, trying to figure out what those untold stories are, what those, what those, uh, thoughts are that happen without me knowing them and actually shining a light on them. And that disempowers them. So I've chosen an anti-racist identity where I'm going to do what I can to dismantle racism. And that project has been helpful in actually changing my thoughts about large black men. So that's the hope. Um, and that's just an example, probably the lowest hanging fruit of an example about what are these thought processes that we have that we need to repent of. How, how, what thoughts are we having that we need to say no to, that we need to change? Repent is this Bible word that often gets this kind of guilt association to it. If you need to repent, it's because you did something wrong. You better repent because you're guilty. You're guilty as sin. Have you heard that? As out of, yeah, I, of course, yeah, I don't really understand that phrase. Um, but I do want us to understand it that repent is, is more about changing your mind, turning your body. Like we turned around to the light and we said, we want this light to come in. We want this room to be bright with Jesus's light right now. That turning is the work of Lent. And that's what repentance, the word actually means. So what do we need to repent of? What do we need to turn away from? What ways does our mind work that are deeper than we understand, darker than we think they should be, and just unreliable? I want to demonstrate the murkiness of the mind just to show that it too needs some light. It needs renewal, even at its most basic level. Loving the Lord your God with all your mind will require a desire to change your mind, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it says in Romans. And I don't think I don't I don't think I really need to convince you of this, but it might help to be on the same page about the problem that we face. Like the murkiness of how my mind works just on an everyday basis. Like, you know, when you're trying to recall something that you know you know, you know that feeling? Your thoughts are not reliable. Um, at, at, at our cell meeting, 
on, on, on Thursday night, Brian had a, a plant on the table and it was a beautiful flower. And we were talking about, it was the first day of spring. So we were talking about as our go around question to kind of welcome everybody in, what's your favorite flower? And Ryan's like, it's that one, but I can't think of the name. Look at it. It's so pretty. And he brings in the pot and like, because Ryan forgot it, I don't know. I just like caught his forgetfulness. And I'm like, I totally know what that is. What is this? And we're all just like, yeah, I know what it is. What? I don't know how it happened, but we just all were forgetting what this was called. So we had to yell up the stairs to Donna. Donna, what is this flower? Orchid. It's an orchid. <laughs> this is not a, not so much of an exotic flower, right? Like I know what an orchid is. Okay. I was telling I was telling Justin. If, you know, Nicholas Nicholas Cage steals them in that movie adaptation. <laughs> you know, what is it called? And he's like, I've never seen that movie. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> None of us could think of the word orchid. Thank God Donna was there. Or sometimes you recall too much. Our brains work in, in fascinating ways, sometimes devastating ways. Um, and I think that we can see this, like, in post-traumatic stress dis dis disorder. I'm not... Uh, a psychologist, so I can't explain it perfectly, but I know a couple of people that have experienced it and they're having this memory and the memory is kind of caught in reality. So what was, what happened then, it's as if it is happening now, you know? And I don't think you have to have PTSD to kind of get caught in the power of memory. Like you want to forget some things or at least forget the, them at the, that intensity cannot we recall too much we recall too little and we can recall too much our brains are not uh, doing what they need to do on on our command we're not essentially I'm not saying it's wrong that our brains work this way I'm just saying that that's the way they work and I'm demonstrating that we're not in total control of them another one that uh you just kind of demonstration of, of how, how this works is songs getting stuck in your head we're really trying to get y'all to practice Christian contemplation during Lent. If you've seen circleofhope.net slash daily prayer, every day it's an opportunity to meditate in some way. This past week we were trying to meditate with Bible passages, just giving people lots of opportunities to practice this kind of stillness of mind and heart and body and breath, you know, creating some space for us to receive God's love. But then songs get stuck in your head. Like I was, so when I'm, when I'm working sometimes, like I'm doing chores, I like to make it like a meditative practice and then it makes it fun instead of it being a terrible, um, arduous task. So I was raking leaves not too long ago. It was like the midwinter rake that I, you know, never did in the fall, but it finally wasn't covered in snow. So I was able to do a little raking. And the song that was stuck in my head was, Anything you can do, I can do. <laughs> I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. <laughs> and I let it, like, it was just unconsciously on repeat for at least five minutes. And then I, I actually said out loud, what a terrible song to be singing. Why am I, where did that even come from? Do you guys Andy, want to Andy, get your gun. Andy, get your gun. Okay. And a few others. So I, I said, I said, stop singing that song. You know, just kind of like, no, brain, don't do that. Here's another one you might want to do that with. Um, don't do it. There he is. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the lead singer of Smash Mouth and Jesus. Because they go together, 
because I was at this retreat last weekend, and there were these 13-year-old kids. 13 years old. This song came out in 1999. The song that I'm not going to sing. Um, but it's all it's in our heads. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you. It, for those of you that are feeling left out, look up All Star. And um, this, is, this smash hit of 1999. But, but what, what really got me was there were these kids singing this song at the middle school retreat in 2019 they were not alive and they were and and they you were mean then in 1999 yeah. i don't know i hope they were angels or something actually i don't i don't know no they were real people because i was they just we were standing around this uh, yeah oh maybe they saw shrek i don't know i still don't like it but they were singing <laughs> they were they were standing around this fire, these fourteen year old kids, and they were singing this song. You said they were thirteen. They were twelve. <laughs> they were eleven. I don't care how old they were. They were too young to know all the words of this song and singing it over and over and over again. And they were so excited about it. They were just they were and you know this beautiful moment of standing around the campfire singing songs and we're singing Smash Mouth. <laughs> do you know songs from the sixties? Yeah, do you know the Beatles? <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> so I think we can take these thoughts, Captain. Even even Smash Mouth put songs. We can say stop. And we can we can get something better in these kids' minds. I hope, um, not just the quality of the music, but maybe even just not a pop song. You know, something else could be in their song. I wish that they were singing um, "Wait on the Lord." That would be great to sing around the campfire. Um, it says uh, Paul says this passage that really gives me hope for how our minds work. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul's in this kind of combative mode when he, when he says this in 2 Corinthians 10. And he's talking about taking control of the narrative. Uh, because they're in this difficult context in Corinth where they're being... Uh, challenged even just the idea of jesus and his followers that that someone could die and rise again is being challenged and paul is wheeling and dealing with them saying no it, this this could happen and this is the life that god wants for all of you to have but just that idea of our thoughts being taken captive for christ has always motivated me in this when I, when I come up against my mind and I don't like what it's doing, it just, it, it's this light, this, this little skylight of like, no, it's possible. You can take your thoughts captive. We can have the mind of Christ. We can say no to those thoughts, whether they're coming up from inside or from without. And I have examples of how we do this, actually. Examples of, of our life together and how we actually are already taking thoughts captive just in how we live and how we work with each other. The number one that I have is forgiveness. Just think about how forgiveness works. We are a people who are dedicated to forgiveness as a way of life because Christ forgave us and we then ought to forgive one another. 
this is a very clear teaching of Jesus that we're committed to. Super hard to do, but we're trying at it. And just think about how forgiveness works when you do it. When I when you say, I forgive you, it's not always true. Not always, not always true at all. Um, but the process of forgiving actually makes it true. It's like a promise. I forgive you. And then I'm going to have to keep forgiving you and making it true. So it, it, it's kind of a creative act. I'm creating the reality that I want to walk into with you. I don't live there yet. We're, we're not reconciled. But this first step into forgiveness is this kind of creativity. Yes, I forgive you. Now let's walk together as if that were true. Um, or how about an, another idea is like people often ask me to pray for them. Do people ask you to pray for them as much as they ask me? I mean, I, maybe it's like, I think everyone asks me to pray. Um, and I have to, I always say, yes, I will pray for you. And sometimes I just have to do a little prayer right there to make sure that I, that I don't forget. So like my, any, it's essentially a lot like pro, uh, forgiveness. Any promise that you make, yes, I, when you say, yes, I will, it's not true until you do it. And so we're, I'm, I'm choosing that thought. I'm creating that reality. I'm walking into it. Um, or, how, or one thing we do in a community is uh, we have a, a, a map with goals that we set. What are we going to do together this year? We made a promise. We, we thought God was telling us to do something, and then, we, we, then we're going to go try and do it. And there are a few map goals, if you go to circleofhope.net slash compass, that aren't done yet, and we're coming up on a year. So we as a community have this kind of idea. Let's do it. We said we were going to. Let's go make it happen. Let's say yes, and let our yes be yes. So I don't have time to go through all of them right now, but um, I'm trying to get the sense that this isn't just an individual act. It's also stuff that we do together, is that we can make our thoughts true. We can actually live into a chosen thought process as opposed to just letting our thoughts happen to us or just letting our life happen to us. It takes some intentionality. It takes some shining of light on what's really happening in order to do it. Last thing I have for you is a, is a parable from, from Jesus that helps us to do this because we can't just say no to our thoughts. And I think I was getting at that with the, with the map a little bit. We actually have to say yes to something else. We have to fill up our life with something. Otherwise, the darkness and the void and the unconscious thoughts are just going to rule us. They're just going to have that much power. There's no way to just police your thoughts. You actually have to have some thoughts that you like. You can't just not like what you're thinking. You can, but you can choose to have thoughts that you do like, that you think Jesus might like, that you think God is actually cooperating with you in. So here's the passage. Will someone read this uh, kind of weird parable from Luke eleven twenty four through 28 to us? This is the last thing I have. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. 
talking about evil spirits is a little freaky. I know you might not have uh, a worldview that kind of talks about this that way, but I'm applying definitely that word for evil spirit to some of the stuff I've been talking about. Definitely racism, a powerful stronghold that we need to confront with all of our spiritual might and our, all of us, um, or those nagging thoughts, like the fact that I'm singing anything I can do, anything you can do, I can do better. I mean, the reason it's so terrible is that I'm, I'm a pretty arrogant person. And I, it's, a, it's a fight that I have all the time to be humbled and to love well and not just to be in some kind of struggle for dominance all the time. That's how I'm wired. Uh, and I want to be, and I want to be different. So that, that like worm thought of just subconscious, uh, uh, competition, not good for me. And I'm calling, I would call that a demon too. I would call that an evil spirit, just kind of getting in where it can get in. And God is seeing that, shining light on that, and wanting to help me in that. So I think that most of Jesus' parables, like this one, are really, if you look at them as if they're just observational. This is how the human person works. They make, like, oodles of sense every single time. So, like, this is essentially what I'm, Jesus is, I got what, I, what I'm saying from this parable from Jesus. If you get rid of evil thoughts... Just say no to them. Try to clear them out. And you don't fill that void with something good and pure and lovely and righteous. If you don't think the good thoughts, the bad thoughts are just going to come right back in and they're going to get worse. Because, you're, you, because you'll probably be too tired fighting them. You'll despair. Oh, here it comes again. Here it comes again. Here it comes again. I don't like these thoughts and I keep thinking them and I'm terrible and oh gosh, I'm stuck. There's no light in me. It's all darkness. What's the use? I think that this actually makes um, a, a kind of real life analogy that I think I've seen that makes a lot of sense for this passage is people that are struggling with addiction. Uh, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, works so well because it fills up your life with something to do other than getting uh, your fix. Go to a meeting. The meeting works. That's what they say in, in AA. Because you're, you're, you're creating an alternative community. You're creating an alternative activity that, that you're using to fill up your life. And even the 12 steps are really helpful because they help you work on that unexamined stuff if you do them with any kind of sincerity. Uh, I think the church is, is very much a 12-step program without the exact language or the, you know, AA came out of Christianity. Um, the, and so the church is doing the same. We're, we're making a life together. We're filling up our life with something to do, some thought to think. That, that doesn't leave room for those demons to come back. You can't just get rid of the, the booze. You actually have to fill up your life with something. You have to make something of yourself. I have a friend who's working on this right now, and, and I'm telling him, you're, you're going to need a project. You're going to need to make something of yourself. Your project cannot be not getting high. That doesn't work. That's not going to work. 
your project has to be something else that's that not being high is essential to achieving. And whether that's being an excellent father, following Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, or um, any other worthy, beautiful thing that you could be doing with your life, that's filling up the house. The alternative, you might not have any toxins in your system, but the demons are going to come back. And they do often. But relapse is, is one of the steps in recovery sometimes, and I'm hopeful for all my friends that are working on this. And I'm hopeful for all of you as you're working on whatever it is that feels like an addiction to you, maybe an addiction to those thoughts um, that just keep coming back, uh, an addiction to uh, the negativity that you don't like but you can't seem to shake. Lent. I hope for you is an opportunity to face those things. And it's not good to feel those. It doesn't feel good to feel all of those things. The love that God has for us is a, a consuming fire. And some stuff needs to be burned off. And so to go towards the light is not always completely pleasant. And that's why sometimes we fast during Lent to, to recognize the, the pain of that process. Um, to embrace suffering as uh, one of the steps along the journey towards a life of abundance, a house full of love, a person full of God's love and life from head to heart, to soul, to strength, to neighbor, to body, all of it filled. That's what we're headed towards. And so we want to keep filling up this space with God. Again, I recommend to you contemplative prayer as a practice for that. Look at circleofhope.net slash daily prayer. It's probably the most effective for your mind, for disciplining your mind and taking your thoughts captive because the, most of the project is paying attention to your mind. What are the thoughts that are happening and how, how might I interact with them? So check out the, the daily prayer this week. That's my best, um, uh, example. One other thing, I don't have time to say too much about it, but I wrote a blog post this week about using the Bible uh, to fill up your, your mind with scripture, using a Bible mantra. You can check that out at circlehope.net um, slash Ben White, too. All right, that's all I have time for. Why don't I pray, and then we can talk back. God, fill us up with your light and love. We're cleaning house here in Lent so that you can be filled in us. Cast out those evil spirits, those familiar loops of thinking, those traps that we've identified, those things that we feel stuck with and not sure what to do with. Shine your light on them, Lord, and give us insight. Help us to move towards you and towards your light. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Anything you want to say back? Question? Comment? Story? Um, I noticed like there was a thread of maybe battling the ego and everything that you were saying from when you're talking about um, downloading your 
right into the internet. Um, so I married to somebody who was talking about this for 15 years and <laughs> just recently, I guess he thought about it or prayed about it or something, but he was like, well, the sun's not going to exist forever. This whole earth is going to like, it's going to explode. And literally there's going to be a point in time where I can't live forever. You know, that whole downloading the internet won't work. So it's like, yeah, that's, I guess, the, 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 the um, thought process that comes out after uh, out of that. But um, but if we're just energy, they could just beam us away from the sun. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so that's part of, like, battling the ego. Like, you just, you can't accept the death of your personality or a thought or your body. It's just, I, I, I heard about, I, I felt it when you were talking about, you know, being afraid of two black, uh, large black men when you're small. It's like... I had this experience. It's a lot of like my experience and what I'm going through. And it's just, um, and then even the addiction, it's like, I had a terrible thing that happened to me. My PTSD, it's like this, this raging ego that just wants to tell everybody what I'm feeling. And it just, even this experience what I'm having right now, it's like, I want to express this thing to you that I'm feeling. It's like, we're always battling this, this sense of ego and, and, really does destroy us yeah because it, it it keeps us from developing the community and the relationships that we want to have and community like every time I'm, I'm reading part of the bible i'm thinking this pertains to community community is all that matters me going to these meetings me having these relationships me growing this or like us us growing this community is is really all that matters and so the ego is really what's keeping yeah, and so then you might ask the question with Jesus, how do I love the Lord with all of my ego? You know, what does that look like? And uh, I don't know I don't know the answer completely because um, I don't think you're going to be able to kill it completely. I don't think that's necessarily what God wants. But it does need some significant transformation because most of us are just doing me, me, me as opposed to us, us, or even God and that connection. So, yeah, it's a big project. Uh, let's go with Tom. I, I don't know if uh, you should necessarily feel that bad about the, the ego, though. It's like that that's part of community is, is finding a balance between who the people are and what their needs are and what their, their, their thoughts are and how they perceive things. It doesn't, it's, we should be aware that it's not always about that. It's, you know, the community wouldn't, would also not exist if people wouldn't, didn't have individuals. And uh, somebody uh, once told me the world was going to roll. But you are the sharpest tool in the shed. No. Why? That's a Smash Mouth reference. Yeah. Oh. Bryce had a hand up, but I'm going to let Kim go first because, you know. I guess I, I'm thinking of a question, and, and my question is, why the the hurt thoughts are so much louder than the soft and gentle and loving thoughts? You know, like why is P, why why can PTSD even exist if we're also being loved? You know what I mean? Like, or you know, why do relationships break because of um, harmful things that are said to each other when like? Usually a person that hurts you was also close enough to love you really well too. Um, and I think, I guess my question is, 
um, you know, why, why, why are the, the things that hurt us so stronger than the things that love us? Why does that, why does that, um, why do those thoughts make our minds so crowded with, you know, I don't know what the word is, but um, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't have an answer yeah. for it. I mean, Yvonne might, or Gwyneth Doug might. So. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. No, 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 no. Yvonne had her hand up too, and I really think she's like a trained like she, mental health professional. She's answering my question. Are you answering my question? <laughs> Only if you want. Yes, I do want. Um, because it's, it's abnormal, and it sears itself in your, in your big body. It's abnormal. The reason why love and belonging and all of that doesn't is just because that is what our brain needs and it craves. But the unusual stuff, and that's why you can be four years old and remember seeing some of the shit. Yeah, because it will be there forever until you get treated <laughs> or deal with it or learn to quiet it, which isn't going to happen for drinking and drugs. You don't deal with like the original pain, you're going to relapse over and over and over again. Yeah. You can go to study A, B, because you want it, but until you confront those demons, be 12 times weekend. I mean, it's just. Yes. Yeah, wow. Okay, Rice. Uh, with that also, a friend of mine was reading data on why they're more powerful. And, and there was a point that stuck out to me was, I think it was seven times more powerful. There's some way that the scientists were studying this quantified how much stronger the negative things are. It's like seven bad thoughts to every one good thought or something like that. There's like a great differential of things explaining why. Um, but the, the thought that I was having was about another place in the Bible where, where Paul is talking about these things that we're trying to get rid of and the things that we're trying to put on. And the, the middle space is renew, and he's talking about renewing your mind. And so, at least as far as uh, the biblical writers were thinking, this mind renewal process is... They don't always talk about how to do like the godly life thing. And the how question is really important to me. But the one thing that they seem to really uh, focus on is the mind being the seat of power for this transformation. So uh, I, I think there's a lesson in that for us. And, and again, it's, it's, it's one of those things about how. Like, how am I going to keep those demons out and put on the new stuff while well, the mind is central? Yeah. Uh, Jedi and then Yvonne again. I just want to say, um, to kind of piggyback off of what Tony was saying, like, it's kind of almost the same as, like, you know, whether it's a restaurant review. Like, it could get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of re reviews. You get, a, like, a few negative, and it's like, that's what's louder. That's what's what people gravitate to and see and hear and they base decisions off of that. I think it's the same. I know I don't have an answer of like why that happens. I just know that they're That's how we work, me. yeah. yeah. Um, I also want to point out that I really love the idea of like cleaning house internally and getting rid of those things. So many people, right? When we ever go that far, then all this other stuff just comes flooding back and we don't replace it. And that's such like a, a very simple kind of like duh thing, but so hard for us as human beings to really take control of our brains. Um, and I don't think people think they have the ability to do that. 
So there was this book that came out in like the late 80s or early 90s called The Soul of Mary Machine and it won the Pulitzer Prize. And it was really groundbreaking because it was about the building of the new DC. And um, it, it's sort of anthropomorphized. You got it, anthropomorphized, yeah. Um, something inanimate and infused it with the soul, which was like people really didn't connect computers with that. A lot of people until that book came out. And, um, the kind of like odd, I mean, there's been a lot of wonderful things, but the, there's been like new psychological diagnoses that have emerged from addiction to porn, um, having relationships online versus in person. It's so much easier to hurt somebody over the internet than face, face to face. To face. Yeah. And so we get these brutal like comments and things that you would never say to somebody. But the origin is always a place like a person because when you actually sit there and interview somebody who's a vicious troll, they always say it's because I'm lonely, I'm rejected, I'm And then there's a, a diagnosis now where you're so addicted to porn, you can't actually have a physical relationship with a person. And it's like the Christian community that plays that role, actually. So. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We, we need to, to we need to confront that too. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.